Our scripture today is found in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. <clears throat> but God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I'll say that again. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. If, there's, uh, if I see someone about to step into dog poo, I'm going to say to them, watch out. If someone is about to step out into traffic, I'm going to shout, watch out. I uh, recently arrived in the UK for my brother's wedding, and as I walked out of London Heathrow to find the bus that would take me to South Wales, uh, there were all these signs on the surface of the road so that I, as a pedestrian, could read them. They were signs on the road, but they weren't for the drivers, they, they were for me, the, the pedestrian. And the signs read this, it said, look left. And the signs were there in the UK because in the UK, the trouble comes from the left. And if you're looking right, as you might be used to, and you walk out into the road, then bad things can happen. So this is another way of saying, watch out, look out. And so Jesus is there in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he's telling his listeners to look out, to watch out, to expect danger to come from an unexpected place. And what is the danger that he's warning them against? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So the thing that Jesus is warning us against is greed. Now, I want to pause for 30 seconds, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, the person behind you, and I want you to name your greatest greed. No, I'm only joking. That's, no. What I want you to do is to name a fictional character, not a real person, this isn't a time to mudsling or to badmouth people, but a, a fictional character that for you represents greed. Okay, so let's take a few seconds, turn to your neighbor, and tell them a fictional character that you can think of that represents greed. Go. Ooh, uh, what, did, what, what were some of the suggestions that we heard? Just shout them out. Scrooge McDuck. He's on my list, Scrooge McDuck. Who? who? The, other. the other Scrooge. The original Scrooge. He's also on my list. Anyone else? Yeah, Jafar. Okay, great. From Aladdin. Yeah. 
Who else? A any others? Hey? What was that, Ron? No matter how much we don't like them, fictional characters only. <laughs> I don't think the mic's able to pick up that far, which is probably good. <laughs> Anyone else? Well, I could see a lot of people talking. Here are some that I came up with. So Scrooge, of course. Mr. Greedy from the Mr. Men. I don't know if you ever read those books when you were uh, a kid, but uh, Roger Hargreaves. Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Uh, Prince John from Robin Hood, you know, the cartoon. Um, Scar from The Lion King. Uh, Smaug from The Hobbit. And Scrooge McDuck. And, uh, you know, the thing about lots of these people is that, is that we laugh at them. We laugh at Mr. Burns and we laugh at, you know, Prince John. Why? Because they are cartoons. They're like a one-dimensional, one kind of a thin character. They're not rounded. They're not 3D. Them and we say, well, that's not me. Um, I'm not like that. I'm a complex human being uh, with complex motivations, uh, all sorts of desires. I'm not greedy like that. Uh, but then along comes Jesus, and he warns us that greed can come in many forms. And he says, watch out. And with greed, we don't just look left. We need to look up and down and left and right in front of us and behind us uh, because we don't know where this attack of greed is going to come from or what it will look like because, like Jesus has said, greed comes in many forms. Not just one kind of greed, but all kinds of greed. Now, I could probably list off the top of my head a couple of types of greed, but all kinds of greed? Like, what is Jesus referring to here? Like, how many types of greed, in fact, are there? Well, I think first to help work that out, first we need to actually decide what greed is. And here's, here's a definition. Greed is a strong desire for more wealth, for more possessions, for more power, etc., than a person needs. A strong desire for more than a person needs. That's a good way for us to sum up what greed uh, means. Now, I could tell you what greed means to me, but I think as soon as I do that, I'd be doing Jesus a bit of a disservice because in Luke 12, 15, he leaves it open-ended. He allows his listeners to fill in the gaps of what greed looks like for them in their own life. He, he allows, you know, the Holy Spirit room to work and to do the work of conviction that only he can do. So what I'd like to do again is to take a few seconds simply in silence. And I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as to what type of greed you are drawn to. What is the type of greed of the many types of greed? What is the type of greed that you are particularly tempted by? Let's just have a few seconds and l listen to him. What is the type of greed to which you are drawn? It was um, the 24th of October 2011, and Kim Holland and John Mack drove our family to the Ottawa International Airport. We were leaving North Gore, and then we were visiting family in the UK before joining the mission ship MV Logos Hope uh, in the Philippines. And virtually all of our 
earthly possessions were packed into four suitcases and four carry-on luggage, luggages. And uh, then it was uh, the 24th of February, 2016, and we arrived in London Heathrow from Mozambique with all of our worldly possessions, not in four suitcases and four carry-on luggages, but five suitcases and five carry-on luggages. We'd obviously accrued something over the four years that we were away. Now it's the year 2020, and our worldly possessions do not fit into four suitcases, or even five suitcases, or even 50 suitcases. We have a lot of stuff, and we aren't the only ones. A lot of us have a lot of stuff. Hands up if you have a lot of stuff. Yeah? <laughs> and one of the ways that we find out that we have a lot of stuff is that self-storage is a big thing. It's really big business. In this city alone, there are 10 of the diamond storage locations, and then there's XYZ storage, access storage, Apple self-storage, green storage, outback storage, and so on and so on. There are so many options for self-storage. In fact, there's this website called insidestorage.com, and they say that, that from the outside looking in, the Canadian self-storage market looks great. But once you start getting into the unsexy details, things seem to lose their rosy patina pretty quickly. Well, I didn't realize that there were sexy details about Canadian self-storage, let alone unsexy details, but according to this website, there are both. Uh, but you learn something new every day. But one of the other things that this website explains is, that, is why there are so many people who are turning to self-storage. And they put it down to the five big Ds. And the five big Ds are death and disaster and divorce and dislocation and lastly, downsizing. And I think that these five Ds help us to see what's going on in our culture and also in our own personal lives. Because mostly, most likely when we look back over the past three years, one or more of these five Ds has affected nearly every single one of us. Either death or disaster or divorce or dislocation, having to move or maybe downsizing. And these storage units can act as a sort of a symbol as to how we as human beings cope with life, right? We accumulate stuff because we can't let go of it or because we're struggling to move on. And that stuff that we accumulate can act as a sort of a security blanket that protects us from the harshness of life. And so the harshness of life is out there and we're here and in between us and the harshness of life is all of our stuff. It's a comfort blanket. And maybe this is one of the reasons why we have a strong desire for more wealth and more possessions and more power than we need. Maybe this is partly why we are greedy, because we are hurting and we are broken. And so this idea that Jesus has of, of guarding ourselves from all types of greed means that greed can look uh, really different to all sorts of people. But to help us cut through, you know, the fluff and, you know, to kind of stop us from saying, well, that's not me, uh, Jesus tells a story which gets to the heart of the matter. And this story in um, Luke chapter 12 is about a rich man who makes a lot of money, and then when he's faced with the windfall, he decides to upsize everything for the purpose of storing more to ensure his future comfort. 
Right? This is his retirement plan as it was. And Luke chapter 12, verse 18 says this. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then up there, I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But there's one thing this man forgot. That he could not take credit for his own success. You see, in verse 16, Jesus sneaks in uh, a little phrase that sets the tone for the whole of the parable. Jesus shows us who or what is responsible for this man's success, and it is not the man. Verse 16 says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The ground was responsible for the abundant harvest. The ground was responsible, not the farmer, the ground. And here's where this might apply to us as we're sat here listening. You see, we're in a rural farming uh, community within the national capital region. And so in North Gore, I think that we, not necessarily uniquely, but there are two strong temptations towards, um, to, you know, for, for us to maybe think that, that we are self-made successful. And so, first of all, we're rural, and secondly, we're in the administrative center of the country. And so, this can lead to this idea that whether we're white-collar or blue-collar, we've created our own success, that we've worked hard, that we've studied, that we've built our businesses, that we get up each morning and we spill, spill the blood, sweat, and the tears that's required for success. And that's not wrong. In fact, that's true. And that's even, it's a good thing up to a certain point. But where this is maybe dangerous for us, where we have to guard ourselves is that that's not the whole truth. You see, being born in Canada or in the UK, simply that fact alone means that you and I, if you were born here, have won the largest lottery in this world. We are living in a country that forms part of the G7, which is seven of the world's most advanced financial economies. We're also living close to the national capital region with all of the wealth that's linked with that. We live on land that is fertile and generally yields crops. And there are some of us here who have, who have actually had money uh, or land or property from our parents, from our ancestors. We didn't work for any of that. We stepped into it. Nearly all of us here are jackpot winners in the lottery of life. Now, maybe you don't agree with me, but I just have to think of of this, um, this really small village in Mexico, right on the edge of a landfill site where I played football with the local kids. And I shared about Jesus' love. That helps me realize that I've won the lottery. I just have to think of the street children that I met there in the Philippines who survive in packs and they numb the pain of their existence through through drugs. I just have to think of that homeless teenager that that I met in the country of of, um, maybe Venezuela, I think it was, whose intestines were actually coming out of his stomach as... He panhandled and as we talked. And then I think of the girl I met, Mariposa. Uh, she lived in a prison over, uh, over in El Salvador. She was born within the walls of this prison. And age six, she's, that's all that she'd ever known. 
And sometimes I wonder, what is she doing now? Is she still alive? And I think of the people over in Sri Lanka right now who don't have access to fuel. And I think of the, of the workers in the Arabian Peninsula who are locked into, warehouse, into warehouses and who have their passports removed from them so that they can continue working in awful, awful conditions. And then I think of the young woman that I heard about who had phoned in secretly to a church from, uh, uh, from one of the closets in the tiny apartment where she, where she was enslaved in the United Arab Emirates just so that she could listen in on the service and worship God. And so she would call in and the pastor would leave that phone there at the front and she would hear what was going on in church on that day. And then I think of the one million plus Uyghur Muslims who are undergoing forced re-education in, in the Xinjiang area of China. And I think of the indigenous Canadians who experienced a similar re-education as recently as the 1990s. And I think of the Ukrainians who've had their families and their homes and their job and their nation stole from them and I could keep on going. But my point is this, is that this idea, this concept that we are self-made people is an illusion just like it was for that farmer, which is why Jesus' word usage is very, is really telling the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And it's the subject of the sentence, the ground, which is the action here. The, the, the phrase a certain rich man actually takes on rather a passive feel in the sentence. And so God here is very clear um, to who is responsible for the abundant harvest. And it's certainly not to that certain rich man. Nevertheless, this certain rich man uh, assumes that his good fortune in life gives him the right to say to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat drink and be merry. Of course, God has a different plan for him. You fool, this, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I wonder how many of us are scripting our own lives as this man was. You know, I'll say to myself, like this makes me think of, you know, younger children when they're playing and what they do is they first script out what will happen and then they do it right so it sounds something like this well okay I'll say to you hello good morning princess and then you'll say to me where were you yesterday and then I'll say to you well I was out and I was about with my friends and then you'll say to me well I thought I was your friend and then I'll say to you well you are my friend but I have other friends and then and then you'll walk off in a huff and you'll, you know, you'll be angry and you'll stomp and the door will slam and then I will chase after you. And then they do it, right? That's what happens. I've lived with girls in my house. That's how they play, <laughs> right? And is this any different? You know, here's what I will do. I will tear down my, my, my barns and I will build larger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, eat, drink, and be merry. He sounds like a child playing. And so this, this thought, this concept that we have any sort of level of control over our lives 
it sounds rather childish when we start to listen to ourselves. And if the pandemic has shown us anything over the past three years, it's how little control we truly have over our lives. And this brings us now to the issue at hand, right? What, what is the specific situation that Jesus is addressing in this story? Well, we have to back up to verse 13 to find out. And this man in the crowd says, uh, someone, uh, well, it says in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? This is the reason why Jesus just told that story. Now, it does sound to me like this guy's had a bit of a rough deal, uh, and we don't know all of the ins and outs and what the actual situation is, but, but it really doesn't matter because, as Jesus pointed out, um, we have to guard against all kinds of greed, not just this specific type of greed. And sometimes greed looks legitimate. It looks okay. And like that man in that crowd, we can be a person in a crowd. We can be a man in the crowd or a woman in a crowd or a teen in the crowd or a child in the crowd who's struggling with a temptation towards greed. Now, maybe your greed looks nothing like my greed. And many times, like this man, our greed can look reasonable, understandable. It makes sense. But Jesus, if he's saying anything, he's saying that this is a slippery slope, which is leading us in the wrong way. It's leading us away from the Lord. And this brings us to the truth that Jesus wants us to take home and to make real in your life and in, and, in, and in my life. And if there's any verse that I'd like you to memorize, it is this. Let's read it all together. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And I think that what gives me pause for thought here is this short phrase at the beginning, life does not consist. Because the word consist means that something is made up of something. You know, I've been on a gluten-free um, adventure recently, and so I'm interested in what goes into certain foods, and so I'm scouting for wheat, and where I see wheat, I avoid it because I know, but what I know is that I can eat a lovely pack of Doritos because they don't contain wheat. They don't consist of wheat. And so if we were to have a packet in front of us labeled life, and we were to look at the nutritional facts of what makes up life, and if you were to scan that list of ingredients, what you would not find is the ingredient of abundant possessions. To enjoy life, you do not need an abundance of things. In fact, Jesus takes it even further. He seems to be saying that if you have an abundance of things, it will stop you from experiencing life. You know, I said earlier that, um, that, that often we have these things because out there is the harshness of life and we're here and the stuff that we have can act as a sort of a barrier, you know, or a comfort blanket. But I think what stuff can also do is it can keep us from the beauty of simplicity of life in Christ. We don't need to seek Jesus anymore because we have our stuff. And we don't need Jesus anymore because we have our stuff. And our society tells us this lie that life is found in the abundance of our things. He or she who dies with the most toys wins. And so we have a culture of people who have more and more stuff and who are less and less happy. And the thing with this person in the crowd who told Jesus to tell his brother to split, split their property, uh, this guy's request wasn't unreasonable. 
people in that crowd would have heard him and gone, that makes a lot of sense. They would have resonated. It wouldn't have sounded out of the ordinary or strange in any way, either in that time or even here. But Jesus's response to him is really telling. He says in verse 14, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So he's warning this man that if, if he keeps on going down this road of seeking happiness and stuff, then there's a strong danger that he will end up as the rich man in the parable. And if this man in the crowd is expecting to find true happiness in, the, you know, in having land uh, sectioned off in the right way, then he's looking for a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. It's a fantasy. You see, what Jesus knows and what we need to know is that freedom is not found in what we gain, but freedom is found in what we give away. And so as we conclude, let's pretend that I have $1,000. And I need someone to look after it for me for a while, this $1,000 bill. And there are two options. I have two good friends. One of my friends is a great guy, but he's struggling financially. He suffers from addiction, and money seems to burn a hole in his pocket. He always needs money. The other friend I have to entrust my, my $1,000 to is an investment banker friend who makes a six-figure sum every year and who never needs money. So which friend am I going to entrust my money to to keep it for me? In short, I'm going to give it to the one who does not need it, right? The one who doesn't need the money, I'm going to hand my money to. And our possessions, our stuff is a bit like that friend of ours who keeps throwing the money away. You know, you know the more money that I entrust into my growing pile of stuff, the more I need, you know, to keep that stuff going. It's never enough. And so we buy and then we pay it off and we maintain it and we fix it. And then we say it's finally paid for itself. And then we upgrade and then we buy and then we pay it off and then we maintain it and we fix it and we finally get it paid off. And then we upgrade and we buy and it just goes on and on and on. And then we die and we're surrounded by a mountain of our stuff and we go into eternity empty which is why Jesus says this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. If I want $1,000 returned intact and whole, then it makes sense to hand it to the person for whom $1,000 is chump change. And in fact, knowing the track record of my wealthy friend, I may actually end up with more money uh, than I left him with, and that friend is God meaning that we do not add to him when we are rich towards him, meaning that God does not need our money. And so we know that because God doesn't need our money, our money is safely invested with him when we give it to him. He's, he's not a panhandler in the sky with his hat out all the time. God doesn't need our stuff. We're giving to a God who is already full, who is absolutely complete, who needs nothing, who is without any need of any kind. 
He's the God of how much more, like we heard about last week, not the God of please would you give me more. God is, God is a God who gives, and it's always safe to give to a God who outgives us. In fact, as we heard last week, Jesus tells us that the Father gives the Spirit, which means that God tells us that God gives God. And if he's a God who gives himself, and if he's the God who gave first, if he's the God who gave everything in his Son on the cross, then for us to give back to him is easy. And what that means as well is that the reason why we give to God, if he doesn't need it, then the reason why we give to God surely must be because we need it. Not because he needs to receive. Being generous to God and his purpose and his kingdom actually does something for us. It forms us. It grows us. It gives us life. Which is why it says in Hebrews 13 verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so we're invited into this incredible arrangement where we give to God what he does not need, so that we can trust him for what we do need. And when we, when we give to God, friends, we set ourselves free.